Have you dreamed about opening a boutique since childhood? Maybe you have a store, but now you're ready to expand. Well, guess what? You're in exactly the place where you're meant to be. Welcome to the Boost Your Boutique Podcast, hosted by Emily Benson, retail boutique consultant, best-selling author, and a motivational speaker. In this podcast, you'll learn how to manage your boutique better, have balance in your life, and learn from experts who care. So whether you've been in the business for decades or you're just getting started, it's important to get help from someone who's been there and someone who's going to coach you along the way. So head over to BoostYourBoutique.com to learn more today. And now, here's Emily. Hello, 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 and welcome back to another episode of the Booster Boutique Podcast. I'm Emily Benson, your host and best friend on this journey through Boutique Land. I'm nervous and excited for this episode. I realized after three seasons that I've never really told my story. So I'm going to start telling some of that through a couple episodes, mostly in relationship to how it can help you in your journey and help you understand that I've been in your shoes. I know what you're going through. And I'm one of the very few boutique coaches and consultants who has actually had a successful boutique, who's owned one and operated a brick and mortar and a mobile boutique and did it for a long time before I decided to transition into consulting and helping more of you guys have successful businesses. Because what I realized very early on was that a lot of people don't really have a background in retail. And that's what leads them to going out of business or struggling in their boutique business. They just don't have the knowledge. They don't have the training. And before I came along, there really wasn't much training. Now there seems to be more people teaching this stuff and that's cool. But for sure, when I was starting my boutique, I think there was one book about how to like be a fashion designer, which like didn't really help. Of course, now, if you haven't yet read my book, that's the best place to start with me. If you're on the podcast and um, you just stumbled upon me, I want to mention that I do have a best-selling book on Amazon that's available called The Ultimate Boutique Handbook. And it has been sort of nicknamed the retail Bible or the boutique Bible, which is so cute. I did not give it that name, but it, it was my aim to educate at a pretty basic level about you know how to get your boutique started, how to do margins, how to understand a product assortment, how to launch. And so right now, currently, the book's available on Kindle and as a print. The one thing I will say is that when I set out, I originally marketed it specifically to brick and mortar and mobile boutique owners, because that was the primary source of my income when I had boutiques. But what I will say is that there is a lot of information that will help you if you are starting an online boutique. So please don't let that discourage you. The one piece that it doesn't really have is how to like build your website, which I don't really teach that anyway. (laughs) I give tips and tricks, but that's not something I generally teach anyway. So, but in that book is all the fundamentals Because honestly, no matter what kind of retail business you're starting, whether you're selling clothes, shoes, staplers, or earbuds, or jewelry, or candles, the fundamentals are all the same. How you sell, the margins, it's all kind of the same business structure. So I want you to be really clear 
on the fact that this book will help you, whether you're starting online in pop-ups with a brick and mortar or a mobile boutique. And you can find it by typing in your browser, www.boutiquehandbook.com. All one word, boutiquehandbook.com. That will bring you right to the Amazon page where the listing is. And then you just choose Kindle or print. If you choose Kindle, it's automatic download. If you choose a print version, it will take, I think, a couple days. It is a print-on-demand book, so it's printed especially for you right off the presses and gets sent right to your home. And it's a great size book. We have sections for notes. It's just, it's a beautiful print book. I'm really proud of it. So there's that. Uh, So, okay, today on this episode, I want to talk about how I started the fashion truck. And I say the fashion truck because that is the name of my store that I had. I started it in 2011. And a lot of people now kind of refer to mobile boutiques as fashion trucks. But when I started, I was one of very few actual trucks operating the way that I was. There was some that were at horse shows and vendor events that I didn't really know about. We did stumble upon some when I was doing research that were in like trailers and things like that. But none that sort of operated, I think, outside of the like traditional vendor operation. My goal was to like go to people's houses, be on the side of the street, all that jazz. And so really, I was kind of obsessed with having the name Fashion Truck, The Fashion Truck, because at the time when I started, there was really only food trucks around. So my 20s were spent working in corporate retail. I left college and immediately got accepted into the Abercrombie and Fitch merchandise training program at their corporate office in New Albany, Ohio. And I went through that 10-week training program and then I was placed as a merchant, uh, an assistant merchant, I should say, I won't get ahead of myself, <laughs> assistant merchant of girled accessories and sleepwear. So the girl store, if you've ever been to a mall and you've seen an Abercrombie kids store, it has a little a at the time it did. They, I think they've rebranded recently, but it had a little A. It was all kids' clothes. I was in charge of the departments that encompass belts, flip flops, bags, leggings, leg warmers, arm warmers. Like we had so many things, but mainly our top drivers were bags, belts, and flip flops. And then in Christmas season, we also did sleepwear. So it was me, my boss, and then we had a planner and allocator. And then there were other merchants on my team who did the other stores. So we were grouped by department. So everyone on my team was in accessories, sleep or swim. And then from that, everyone was like focused on a brand. So underneath the Abercrombie brand, there's Abercrombie and Fitch, the main store that you would normally think about, then Hollister, Abercrombie Kids. And then there was also a store called Rule. And that is no longer in existence, but this was way back in 2005. So I started out there and it was great. I was in charge of designing and developing clothes and, well, accessories. I guess leggings were kind of our clothing and sleepwear. But we worked with designers to design the styles that we then made in various places around the world, had shipped to the United States and distributed to stores. I'm obviously simplifying this process like a million steps, but essentially Abercrombie & Fitch is a vertical retailer. So it's a little bit different than 
we operate in boutiques, which is more of a buying system. And, and there are a lot of stores that operate in this vertical way. So Gap, Old Navy, Abercrombie, obviously, a store like, who else makes their own stuff? Oh, like Aeropostal, American Eagle, Black House White Market, places like that all make their own things and sell them. We in boutique land sort of operate on a buying system more like a Bloomingdale's or a Macy's, stores like that, Francesca's, where we're buying other brands and then reselling them. So my background is actually in more product design and development. So if you come to me and you make a product, I'm going to help you make it because that's what I learned how to do. And that's actually, I really love doing that. That's so creative. It's like a really fun process for me. But I started that out when I worked at Abercrombie Kids in the corporate retail realm. And we had 163 stores for that particular brand. So I was buying massive quantities. We were making massive quantities of everything we did, distributing them to all 163 stores throughout the United States. And it was a really massive learning process for me. I was 22. I had just gotten out of art school. Kind of had no idea what I was doing, but learned the retail business from scratch because I was really interested in fashion and art and design. And so I always came at everything with this very sort of creative spin. And that's what I have always and do always love about fashion and the boutique industry because it does come from a creative place where creativity is sort of married with function and utility. And that's where we as sellers, as boutique owners, get to give our customers exactly what they want from understanding both perspectives of function and design. And so for me, my brain, and if you ever have worked with me, you know my brain is like equally parts creative and equally parts business. So I love to paint and draw and garden. And I also love to crunch numbers and I love to talk about percentages and I love to talk about builds and sales and year over year and all that stuff. I love it. So I'm kind of weird in that sense, but actually that made me a really, really good merchant. And I really enjoyed working at Abercrombie. I got promoted there and then I moved. I decided I wanted to move to New York City. That's where all my friends were. And of course, the fashion industry is pretty easy to move into in New York. So I ended up moving and getting a job. Actually went and interviewed one Martin Luther King weekend for a bunch of jobs. I just scheduled in with HR departments at companies that I really wanted to work at and just said, Hey, I'd love to just come talk to you and meet you. You know, I'm going to be looking for a job soon and something's open. Great. If not, I just want to be on your radar basically. And I, out of that, that so was like January by March, I was living in New York. I worked for limited brands. They're now called L Brands. They're based also in Ohio, but I was in one of their New York offices. And essentially, I worked for this design group within L Brands. And we designed and developed accessories for a lot of the L Brands companies. So L Brands owns Victoria's Secret, Bath & Body Works. At the time, it was starting to develop Henry Bendel. Henry Bendel's now closed sad face. And so I was in the Henry Bendel office with this group. And so what we would do is we would actually go out. I was the merchant on the team. I would go out and research the landscape for whatever like project we were working on. So it could have been for, let's say, what one of the projects we did was for dorm things like accessories and stuff for the pink brand, which is like pink is inside Victoria's Secret. So I went out, I understood the landscape for what you know, people were selling at that time for college, dorm, things like that. And then I would bring it back to the designers. We'd have an assortment plan. 
they would design into it. We present it to Pink. Pink would say, we'll take this, we'll take that. We developed it and then they sold it in Pink stores. I think we ended up testing things and it was just like we were this little incubator group. But essentially, uh, we ended up designing and developing a lot of new accessories for the Henry Bendel brand. So if you've been to a Henry Bendel store in the past like 10 years, maybe a little longer than that, actually, you would have seen the things that I helped originate to work on. So handbags, jewelry, other accessories like luggage, footwear, trinkets, all that stuff. And so when I worked in this little design group, we did a small test launch one fashion week in September in our New York flagship for Henry Bendel. And it ended up going so well that they decided, okay, we're going to open stores. We're going to develop this into a brand. And while I was at Bendel's, we ended up opening four stores. I flew to the stores and helped open them. And I was doing all these different things. It was crazy. It was so much fun. I learned so much. I really learned how to create a brand, not out of nothing, but out of understanding the ideal customer, marrying that with history and creating something new and fresh for the times that we were developing it for. So anyway, it was really exciting. It was probably one of one of my more favorite jobs. And the people were great. The, you know, it was fun to work on Fifth Avenue in New York, like classic fashion. And it was just really fun to work in a brand that had been around since the 1800s in New York City and, and started with such cool historic roots and was such a part of the history of fashion in New York City. So that was a really fun job. I got to like get my hands on everything and still in that mode of like designing, developing, researching, testing, selling, putting things in stores. I learned, I became a really good visual merchandiser there because my boss, like our CEO was just so good at it. And so I really like learned so much from him and I learned so much from my other boss, Dina. And like, there was just all these, I had like wonderful mentors there and wonderful coworkers. It was a place where I really developed more style and and where I like, you know, got to sort of understand the landscape of fashion. And I think if you're listening and you haven't really taken time to understand the fashion industry, you've got to do that to be a successful boutique owner. You've got to be going to events like magic or fame or apparel shows. You've got to like be seeing what runway shows are doing. Even if they don't necessarily affect your people, you know, you want to look and see what is Chanel showing? What is Louis Vuitton showing? What is Gucci showing? What are these higher end designers showing? And then what are some of the streetwear designers showing? You know, what are the athletic brands showing in terms of what their collections are? And again, not all of it translates down to what we're selling in a boutique, but you've got to have sort of your finger on the pulse so that you know what's coming because it all comes kind of from the same place. So that's what I loved about Bendel's is I just really had my finger on the pulse there. It was just so fun to live in New York and do that. So did that for a couple of years. And then I moved over to Club Monaco, which is owned by Ralph Lauren. It's a company within the Ralph, Ralph Lauren family. So that was really fun to go for such, again, another really big brand, smaller, more niche brand within huge behemoth of a classic American brand. But when I worked at Club Monaco, still I was I was focused on accessories. And at this point I added men's to my departments that I was in charge of. So it was really actually interesting to understand men's accessories, what was important to them. I did a lot of research and rejiggering of the sunglasses departments at Club Monaco, which was something 
I had never done before. So I really liked that because <laughs> I really also realized how many people buy sunglasses and what an important category it is in the accessories world. So I love that. I also did women's handbags. I sort of always did women's handbags once I started at Bendel's. And if you know me, you know I have a lot of beautiful, beautiful handbags um, that I just absolutely love and sort of like a jerk about accessories and handbags because it's like what my history in fashion really was. And so I did, uh, so at Club Monaco, I was in charge of men's and women's handbags, belts, and sunglasses, which were big categories. And I want to say, I want to say Club Monaco had around 130 stores, 160 stores, something like that. And it's fun, actually, like there was Canadian stores, there was uh, United States stores. So it was interesting too, to see that mix of, again, being back at sort of like a bigger retailer and then also like what the Canadian landscape was a little bit like. So I worked there for a little while and then I moved for a very quick stint to Delia's. Now I will tell you that while I was at Club Monaco, as much as I liked it, I was like, okay, I'm almost done (laughs) with this fashion industry thing. I really was starting to get the itch of wanting to do my own thing and, and sort of get out of not necessarily New York, but just out of the fashion world. It's super high paced. It's like, you know, you're working from seven in the morning to seven at night, sometimes eight at night, no breaks, eating lunch at your desk. It's just, it's a really high pressure world. And it was starting to really great on me. <laughs> like I was like, okay, I love doing this and I know I want to open something of my own soon. And so while I was at Club Monaco, I actually went on a trip with my sister to Spain and we were in Spain for two weeks it was, I think it was her graduation trip. I think I may be like totally forgetting. Anyway, we went to Spain for two weeks and I kept telling her, I was like, I just, I don't know what I want to do. And she was like, let's brainstorm. And so we started talking about it. And maybe this is how you decided to come up with your boutique. You know, you're just like, I had to like do something for me. I got to do something that feels fun and new. And so out of our trip came a couple of different ideas. I was going to either go back to business school I already had my undergraduate. I wanted to go get an MBA. I was going to open a vegetarian restaurant. At the time, I was vegetarian. Or I was going to open a truck that every season changed themes. And the themes would be based on whatever the trend was. And I would sell things out of this truck. Okay. So like sort of the fashion truck, but not totally. Of course, I was like terrified to start the actual business. (laughs) So for me, I was like really leaning towards just going back to business school. You know, I felt like I bought myself a little time and I could ease into like starting a real business. But when I told my parents that I was like, I want to apply to business school and yada, yada, my dad was like, Emily, you don't need to go to business school. You just need a great idea. And that was the catalyst for me to say, you know what? He's right. I've spent all this time working in fashion businesses. I don't actually think I want to go start a food business. That's not what I know anything about. So let me explore this idea of a truck a little bit more. I'm Emily Benson. And if there's one thing I want you to know, it's that everything is not always as it seems in the boutique world. That owner who's winning awards might 
not have a sale for many days in a row. That boutique owner who looks like she's expanding and doing so well, her marriage might be falling apart. And that brick and mortar down the street that seems to always be busy, they might not have any money in the bank. I am here to teach you how to do a new way of running a boutique. A boutique where you're happy, your life is thriving, and you have money in the bank to grow, expand, or just keep in the bank. (laughs) There's a myth out there that when you run a business, you shouldn't be profitable. Well, guess what? Running a boutique is one of the most profitable business models you can start. If you're not making money or you're worried about money every single day, there's a problem. And the problem might not be with your numbers. The problem might not be with making more sales. But I'm here to tell you that we can solve that problem easily. I've had boutiques go from even what feels like a really small percentage, from 57% to 64%, but brings them thousands more dollars every month. And frankly, I have boutiques that have so much profit that they need to spend more money each month so they pay less in taxes. Don't you want that to be you? Don't you want to feel so confident in your boutique every day when you wake up? Don't you crave the idea of sleeping well at night, having no anxiety, not worrying about how you're going to pay that next bill or when that vendor calls, if you'll have the money in the bank? Yeah, it's possible. But by looking for the answers, you're missing the solution. The solution is inside your business. It's inside your head. It's inside your heart. And that's what so many people out there trying to teach boutique owners how to be more successful are missing. And that is where you are welcome to come to the Rich Retailer Retreat. See, I don't believe that being a rich retailer is just about money. It's about having a great life. It's about manifesting what you want. It's about going to the next level of whatever that looks like for you. Because every single person in a room at an event doesn't want the same things. And that's okay. Some of you might want to stay home more with your kids. Maybe you want to go on more vacations. Maybe you want to hire a bunch of people and just be the face of your business. That's okay. Maybe you want to grow it and sell it. That's okay. I want you to come to the Rich Retailer Retreat with an open heart and an open mind because we're going to dig deep into what it is that you truly want and what it is that's going to make you feel excited to leave and go home and get what it is that you want. After our March retreat, we had insane results and I want to tell you about them. Let's talk about Tina. After the March retreat, she knew she was going to open her brick and mortar store in June. Well, we just got an update from Tina and on the very first day of her store opening, she sold out of every single piece of clothing and accessories in her store. Yes, every single piece. Her store was empty after the first day. And let me tell you, it was not a small store. Okay, this is the power of 
you. This is the power that you have within yourself. And if this is resonating with you and these are the kind of results that you want, then I want to invite you to this retreat. It is like nothing else you've ever been to. It is personal development for the boutique industry on an entirely new level. This is not about anyone standing on stage and teaching you systems and structures and telling you what you should be doing. This is you sitting in a room with other heart-centered boutique owners wanting to change your life for the better and knowing that by going inside, you have the power to do that. Find out more information and reserve your seat now at www.richretailerretreat.com. So I started sketching. Again, I'm still working at this point. Started sketching, started like really researching food trucks. I was living in Manhattan and there were food trucks everywhere. Like they had just gotten popular. It was 2010. And I was like, okay, I'm going to go and just be a creep and like look in the back of the trucks and ask the owners questions if they're slow. And it was really funny. Maybe you can relate because you're like, I just want to ask all the questions. So at a certain point, I was like, okay, this is what I want. And by that time, I knew I wanted to call it the fashion truck. And so I asked my dad to please buy me domains. Like I didn't know how to do this. I didn't know how to like buy like fashiontruck.com. <laughs> So for my birthday in 2010, he bought me a bunch of domains, including the fashion truck, Emily's fashion truck, like all that jazz. And so that was November of 2010. And I sort of just sat on it. I was like, okay, like, you know, Christmas in retail is really, really tough. So we, I just couldn't focus on it. When I came back from Christmas break in January of 2011, I got called down on a Friday to my HR office. I had been working at Delia's for a couple months. Honestly, it wasn't going well. And if you know now, Delia's is completely out of business. So I think I was like there probably two years before it was just totally went out. It was a tough place to work. And what I found was I just wasn't really meshing with the team there. And it was one of those jobs that just wasn't working out. For me, and I don't really think they liked me. They didn't like that I had like a voice. I don't know. I won't say anything bad about it. It was totally a fine job. It just didn't work. So I got called down to HR on a Friday afternoon and I go down and, you know, I didn't, I didn't know what was happening. It was just like, okay, I'll come downstairs. So I go sit in the room. It's my boss and the HR guy. And uh, they're like, so Emily, this isn't really working out. And so we're going to let you go. And I was like, wait, what? And they're like, yeah, we're like cutting back and cutting down. And we just think like your position, like, you know, we don't have the whatever. I don't even know what they said, but basically they were sitting there laying me off. Okay. And I was like freaking out. I like was turning red. I was like, oh my gosh, like I've never, like this has never happened. This is crazy. So I don't know how this came out of my mouth, but literally they like passed me the folder. They're like, go pack your stuff. You know, are you going to be okay? And, and they were very nice about it. And I just looked at them and I said, just wait. In six months, you'll see the fashion truck on the road. Like literally, I have no idea how this came out of my mouth. And they said to me, great. That's great. You have a plan. Like, awesome. You know, they were like so excited. And I was just like, yep. <laughs> I 
like took my folder, got up and left, like totally freaked out, like packed on myself, left and was just, oh my God, how did this happen? Like, oh my God. And it's shocking. Like, I don't know if you've ever been laid off or fired or whatever. You know, if it's unexpected, it's it's just like, it's so surprising. You question everything. Like, you question like, did I do something wrong? Did I see something wrong? Does this mean that I'm not good at being in corporate? Like, you just question everything. It's kind of the worst. I definitely felt like I got knocked down. And, like, and then at the same time, you know, and talking to my friends and talking to my family, it was just like, is this actually the time to like start your business? Just seven, eight months ago, you were talking about doing this and you've been sketching and you've been getting ready. Like, if not now, when? I'm young, I don't have a mortgage, I didn't have kids, I didn't even have a dog. This could be the right time to do it. And so that was January of 2011. I sort of sulked, (laughs) enjoyed my days home, applied for jobs, and also started working on a business plan. I was living in New York still. And by mid-February, it became like very clear that I was going to need to move out of New York if I was going to make the business work because the rent on my apartment, like I just couldn't afford it. And there's just certain things you have to cut back on when you start a business. And I think you know this, if you started a business, you know, you make sacrifices at the beginning so that you can get what you want in the end. So I was writing my business plan and I wrote like a very comprehensive business plan, ended up getting some loans from banks and family and some investors cobbled together some money so I could really get started. And then my parents said, listen, we're not ready to invest in your store, your, your, you know, the fashion truck yet, but we will invest in you by giving you a place to live. So I knew I wanted to start the truck in Boston. It felt very doable for me. It felt like an easy city to do it in. New York felt like completely like it wasn't going to work. And so I ended up in March 2011, moving back to Massachusetts with my parents, where I continued to work on getting the truck up and running. By April, I found a truck to buy and I, I knew I wanted to have a step van. That was like a hundred percent. I knew that from the beginning because I didn't want to have to buy a car. Also, I had been carless for years at that point living in Manhattan. And I don't know. I just, I always imagined it looking like a food truck. You know, for me, it was, it was 2011. This was such a new idea that I felt like I really had to rely on the fact that people knew or were starting to know what food trucks were. And so I really wanted my fashion truck to look like a food truck. And that was, honestly, that was always my pitch. I would say to people, they'd be like, what business are you starting? And I'd say, well, have you heard of food trucks? And they're like, yes, of course. And I'm like, well, I'm starting a fashion truck. And they're like, you're going to sell fashion out of it. And I'm like, yay. (laughs) Just like totally made sense to people. It was really, really easy. And so in April, I bought a truck in New Jersey. I had to drive it all the way back up to Massachusetts, which was equally terrifying and exhilarating all at the same time. Spent most of May like designing the truck. I already had pretty much sketched out what I wanted And I worked with my dad. He's like so awesome. But I worked with my dad to build it completely out. And we spent most of May doing that. And it was great. We had barn doors in the back. He built me steps down, built wooden steps. We had like great wood floors, beautiful teal walls. We even had crown molding inside, two dressing rooms. I actually remember my mom and I standing in the truck at one point trying to figure out the dressing rooms. And again, 
if you have a truck, you've totally heard this. <laughs> like you totally get this, right? You're like, okay, is it going to be like a curved thing over in the corner? And how are we going to do the pipes and where will it attach to? You know, you're like trying to make something out of nothing. I just remember my uncle coming over and that my cousins and uh, aunt and uncle live right down the street. And I remember him coming over to like on a Friday night or something to like, be like, Hey, what, like, how's it going over here? You know? And my mom and I are like, Oh, we just don't understand this dressing room thing. And he literally takes a pole and like brings in the truck and just puts the pole with wise across the truck. And he goes, guys, you just pull a pole like this, like there's your dressing room. <laughs> and we were like, oh my gosh, you know, and the, but then we have this huge dressing room. It was, it was really awkward. By the first event, we knew we had to like cut it in half because one dressing room was not enough with the lines that we had. So anyway, you know, it was just all family pitching in, like my mom helping me paint, my dad helping me build, my sister coming and like, helping me ticket merchandise, friends come. I mean, like everyone came to help. It was just so cool. And I remember my first event was actually coming up. So it was, it was on June 9th, which actually, as I'm recording, this was like right around now, about eight years ago. Yeah. Eight years ago, 2011. So by the time I got, I had gotten laid off in January, my first event was June 9th. So like literally six months to the day of me saying, just to wait, who knows like what divine download that was, but we got everything ready in the truck. I had bought merchandise during that time. You know, May was really like super prep month where I was getting everything in the truck ready. I was getting like a little wrap on the outside and I was getting all my clothes prepped and bought. And I had gone to a fame show back in February in New York. And I think either I went to fame show, I was started to buy stuff from some of the vendors through their sites and maybe through fashion go. And guys, if you're just starting out, I bought some stuff that was like so bad. Like I got it and I was like, Oh God, this fabric's so thin. It was like totally different on the model. And you know, it happens even to people who have, I mean, I had tons of experience at that point. It still happened to me. And so I, got everything ready. We got the truck set and I drove out to my first event. And my first event was a total bust. It was terrible. So it was interesting because when I was at home in my hometown, all these people kept talking about this market in Boston. Oh, there's this market. There's this market. And I was like, you know, I was new to Boston. I had been living in New York. So I was just, I'm an adult living in kind of my hometown, but like not, like I was just, I didn't know what was going on in Boston. Let's say that, you know? And so I started the truck and everyone kept talking about this market. But of course I am like, well, there's this huge bike week going on in New Hampshire. I'm going to go to that. Okay. And guys, this is why I talk about ideal client all the time, because I brought a truck full of dresses and jewelry and fascinators and all this super cute stuff to a motorcycle festival. Okay. Like there were people selling leather pants and tiny tank tops and everything that was not what we were selling. And I lasted about three days at that festival it was a complete disaster. It was, it was horrible. It was like just literally such a waste of money. But you know, when you're first starting out, you're thinking, I just want to make money. I just want to like start to recoup my money. I just spent all this money. But I will warn you, like it also means that you have to go to the right places and you have to find where that ideal client is because 
I just totally missed the mark going to this bike festival. And thank God at the same time I had applied to that festival in Boston, that market. And so I left on a Wednesday from the bike week, came back home. We had gotten accepted into the market in Boston. So we started on that Sunday. And I just remember that Sunday feeling so relieved, like, oh my gosh, all my ideal customers here, they're freaking out about this truck. They're buying everything. I don't even know how to keep up. This is in freaking scene. We made so much money or what felt like so much money at the time, especially just because we had like bled money at the bike week. And it was just one of those moments where I was like, oh my gosh, like, you know, my six months of work, my one year, you know, of dreaming really longer than that dreaming, all of it, everything just worked out perfectly because I kept going after what I wanted. I kept doing the work. I kept finding the right people. I kept asking for help. I kept just going, going, going. And that felt like that, you know, that moment at the end of the movie where like, she's happy. (laughs) She's like, you know, all her dreams came true. And like that first day was so amazing. And honestly, like, I think a lot of you guys have that great first day. Here's the thing is that this is why I do what I do because it's not just the first day, right? It's like everything after that. But I hope all of you have such a great, you know, I hope you don't go to the bike week. I hope you just go to the good market. <laughs> have an awesome first, you know, I always call that my first day because I don't even want to think about the bike, the bike week, but it was my first event. It was, abs- I think we like seriously made one sale and it was like $120. to so, like a wife of someone who was another vendor who was so cool. But yeah, that's how I started the fashion truck. Everything fell into place. It was something I knew I always wanted to do. And I just felt like this calling. I, I knew I always wanted to have a boutique. I didn't really know how it would always manifest. But once I had that idea when I was in Spain, I just kept going after it. I just kept thinking about it. And as I kept thinking about it and sketching and drawing and moving towards it, like the universe just kept giving me what I wanted. It kept sending me exactly what I needed, exactly what I wanted at the right time. And I mean, obviously there was bumps, you know, obviously there was delays and things, but hopefully the story inspires you that if there's something you want, whether it's a truck, whether it's a store, whatever that is, is that like, as long as you stay focused, as long as you keep working towards what you want and having faith and positive energy towards it, it will totally happen. So that is my story of starting the truck. That's sort of some of my story of my background too, in case you didn't know why I know all this stuff about retail. I sort of talk about it sometimes, but I really appreciate how much time I spent in corporate retail. I just learned so much on the job. And if you're listening to this and you're really young, you know, that also could be an opportunity for you too to go into corporate retail and kind of get your chops and like really understand the business a lot before you go and spend your own money doing it, right? Go send someone else's first. But I hope that my story, you know, A, helps you get to know me a little bit better and sort of the context of where I'm coming from. And B, hopefully it will inspire you to, you know, take a chance, take a leap, tell someone something crazy about what you want and, uh, you know, know it's all going to work out. So thanks for giving me the space to share my story. And I can't wait to tell you guys some more stuff about how I open my brick and mortar because that's another great story. So that's coming soon. Here's to making lots of friends and making lots of money. Did you love this episode as much as I did? Head over to iTunes and rate and review the 
Booster Boutique podcast so more amazing and creative boutique owners like you can find out about it. And don't forget, head over to BoostYourBoutique.com to learn more.